Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to work. And we got to have fun with it. It's going to work. I I really don't know if this intro is going to work. It's going to work. Just trust me. Formula One is back again. Lots of race setting pace. We're ready for the new year. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Mercedes is looking rough, very tough. Just a luck. Hamilton could be the best. Will he win number eight? Max is going for the lead. Can he win? Oopsie spin. McLaren's car's looking sharp. Watch Lando fly. Lots of drivers in new seats. Sergio, Ricardo, will Carlos outshine Leclerc? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Haas has a whole new lineup. Or money, legacy. Williams under new owners. Will George I get a shot? Many races to enjoy. 23, soon to be, who's ready for the season? We know we freaking are. Hello and welcome to another edition of Off the Pit Wall, an American F1 podcast. My name is Dan Seleski, joined with me as always, co-host extraordinaire Hunter Connolly. Hunter, how are you doing on this fine week, this fine day, as we are prepared for the penultimate race in this season? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited for this week. I'm a bit cautious, a bit, bit, uh, bit wary of this track because it, it looks fairly simple. It looks like it'll be very fast, so we know that that, in theory, means McLaren should do well. Uh, that also means Mercedes should do well. Uh, but then again, Red Bull has been shocking people at faster tracks as well. So we, I, we'll see. I don't. It's gonna be an interesting race. Uh, we were we were talking pre-show here, Dan, about how fast this track appears to be and how I said that it looks like other than what will be turn one, four, 13 and 27, every single other labeled turn is just more of a minor inconvenience than it is an actual turn. Yes, of course, Hunter. But before we dig into that, I want to take a moment to just kind of talk a little bit about a tragic passing that we had this past weekend as the formula one world has been reeling over the death of one of not just the pioneers of Formula One, but honestly, all of motorsports. Uh, Sir Frank Williams passed away Sunday morning at the age of 79, surrounded by his family. He leaves behind a legacy of success in the world of motor racing that very few can, can match. Son of an Air Force officer and a school teacher, Sir Frank Williams became first enthralled in racing during his time in school and then tried out a brief career as a driver and a mechanic before founding his first team in 1966, known as Frank Williams Racing Cars. The team made an immediate impact, including two podiums during its maiden Formula One season in 1969. But despite that success, Frank eventually had to sell the team due to financial reasons in 1976. But Sir Frank did not see that as the end of his time in motor racing. Along with one of his former employees, Patrick Head, Sir Frank Williams started a new Formula One team in 1977 called Williams Grand Prix Engineering. And that is the team we simply know as Williams Racing today. Williams saw its first victory when driver Clay Regazzoni stood atop the podium at the 1979 British Grand Prix. And in 1980, they reached the pinnacle of the F1 world by winning both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships with Australian driver Alan Jones. Williams would continue to dominate the 80s and 90s in Formula One, collecting a total of seven Drivers' Championships and nine Constructors' Championships by the end of 1997. During that time, working with iconic drivers such as Nelson Piquet, Nigel Mansell, Alan Prost, and Ayrton Senna, just to name a few of the many. With the dynasties of Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes dominating the past couple of decades, the success of Williams Racing has become a greater challenge, but their moments of triumph in the face of organizations backed by multi-billion dollar companies has shown that the heart and soul of Williams Racing will always be strong, no matter the odds. 
At the beginning of the 2012 season, Sir Frank Williams decided to step down from the day-to-day operations of the team, instead giving the responsibilities to his daughter, Claire. He remained the team principal all the way until the Williams team once again had to seek financial assistance during the pandemic-stricken season of 2020. Despite being acquired by the American investment group Doralton Capital, they had made good on the promise of maintaining the Williams name in Formula One to this day. Sir Frank Williams has spent his life being the embodiment of what Formula One is all about. The drive, the innovation, the spirit. Sir Frank was all of these qualities and more. He will be dearly missed by everyone in the world of F1. Here's to hoping the name of Williams Racing remains proud and prominent on the Formula One grid for many years to come. At this point, in honor of the memory of Sir Frank Williams, we respectfully take a moment of silence. Hunter, when I first saw the news that Sir Frank Williams passed away, I saw it when a friend of ours, uh, Kalen, he's been on the show before, when he messaged our little group chat about it, and I could not believe the news. You know, it is, it is really sad and unfortunate to see such an icon pass and, you know, no longer be with us. But out of some of the greatest people to ever compete in Formula One, I think he leaves behind one of the greatest legacies of any individual you know, who's ever contributed to the sport. Yeah, I don't think there will ever be another Frank Williams, Sir Frank Williams. And I say that because in the world we live in today, you'll have many people like Lawrence Stroll where you can buy a team, but to simply build a team out of sheer will and determination and heart from the ground up and become champions is unbelievable. During his tenure, they had 16 world championships. I mean... I don't think anything like that will ever happen again. Obviously, we have teams like Mercedes and Red Bull and McLaren and Ferrari where they're, they were, well, let's not say Red Bull, but at some point in time, they were a simple person, whether it was just ma- manufacturing cars or not that led to the team being created. But Frank Williams didn't sell or didn't create cars. He didn't create some other business platform he simply went i want to be in formula one what do i need to do to get there and then stay there and he found every every single possible lane and 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 outcome he could to to be able to stay in the sport and not only stay in it but thrive so i think it was really cool that even happened because even when he was doing it it seemed almost far-fetched. So I I honestly give my condolences to the whole family and to the whole F1 community that, that personally knew him. I just, it's a sad day, but at the same time, you got you got to look at the positives and at the, the legacy he's leaving behind. So just need to look for a brighter day and, and hope that Williams can maybe rile together this, this last two races and maybe George can can qualify into Q3 or something or, you know, something that they can contribute to the name. You know what I mean? There's only so much they can do in the car they have right now, but maybe this will give them the nice little boost to do whatever they possibly can to to honor him the best they can with what they have right now. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you know, as, as you talked about, it, it this is a team that is not backed by a massive car manufacturing brand, which is most other teams on the grid. I mean, you know, that's your case with Mercedes, that's your case with Ferrari, your case with Aston Martin, your case with McLaren, with Renault, um, excuse me, Alpine, but Alpine is just a European sub-brand of Renault. You know, you have that with Alfa Romeo, 
I mean, really, the only teams you don't have it with is Red Bull, which has a lot of money because it's backed by a different, you know, large company and Haas, which I mean, you know, let's not let's not disrespect how big of a company Gene Haas has in his own, you know, manufacturing business. Like it, it really felt like Williams was the last, you know, as you put it, team that their goal was to just make fast cars and race. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a funded operation by a larger, you know, business, you know, and honestly, the way the world goes, I don't think we're ever going to have a team that's fully like that ever again. I think that if there was going to be any team in the history of F1 that has such a such an origin and such a backing that I would want to have, you know, as best we can eternalized into the grid, as I hope Williams is, you know, it it would be, you know, this team that uh, Sir Frank Williams put together, which let, let me just talk about is incredibly dominant. I was I was putting this, you know, this little piece together that I that I spoke on earlier and you know, looking up a lot of information about the Williams team and about Frank Williams, of course. And one of the things I never realized was just how ridiculously dominant they are in the context of Formula One Hunter. Yes. Williams Racing has won over 20% of all constructors' championships in Formula One. They have won over 16% of all drivers' championships in Formula One. And they have won 15% of every race that they have entered in Formula One. Yeah, that's those are some amazing numbers. Yeah, those those are numbers that if I just gave them to you, you would think of, you know, maybe Ferrari, for example, you know, or McLaren, a, you know, a, a large manufactured team that has had, you know, both longevity and continual success for years upon years upon years. So, you know, all credit to, to everyone out there, of course, his entire family to Claire and all that about, uh, you know, their their recent loss. And and I hope that this coming weekend at the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix, they do something to to honor him that's appropriate. I know both both, you know, Latifi and and Russell have, you know, put their condolences out there and all that stuff and have shown their appreciation and love for for him. But I hope Formula One as a whole, you know, rallies around uh to celebrate his life. That's what I hope. But speaking of this weekend, we do have a brand new track for us to go to and this track Hunter as you talked about a little bit at the beginning of the show, uh, this track looks ridiculous. Yeah, it's um, it's only going to be 50 laps. Uh, the normal uh, normal average-ish race distance around 308 kilometers, 315 kilometers. That seems to be what the season goes for. The circuit is 6.174 kilometers. It's kind of long. That's like three-ish miles, I believe, if you do the, the, the maths. But I will look into my crystal ball here real quick and spoil the race for everybody. Uh, Lewis Hamilton wins. That show's over. That's it. That's it's a new track. He wins every single new track we've ever been to. He's won at fifteen new tracks in his career. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that um, uh, I mean, Lewis Hamilton. You know, forget just Lewis Hamilton. The Mercedes has been incredibly good in terms of straight line speed, and you know, like just just being a bit of a faster car on the straights, which. Sure, this track has 27 turns, but as you pointed out, Hunter, really, it's got, like, like turns that you aren't taking, you know, with your foot fully on the ground, or maybe, like, you're just lifting a little bit. It's, it's four turns. It's, like, four or five turns, maybe. Yeah. So, whereas, you know, Red Bull's dominance has been a lot in, you know, slower to medium corners this season, this track is, like, this track is basically, like, 
you know, you have the Suzuka S's and then you have like the Coda S's, like just kind of stapled back to back in multiple parts on this track. And I'll be honest, you know, it, I think it's going to be a great race. I honestly think it's going to be a great race because of the high velocity of it and the fact that I think this track has a really high risk of yellow flags and safety cars, mainly because could you imagine a high high speed track that has, you know, a lot of high speed corners and, you know, sections that feel very back and forth. That's what this has, except the difference is if you go beyond the curb, you are hitting the wall. The wall here is right there. So this leaves very little room for error. Which, which is just absolutely miraculous. So you have a high-speed track, little room for error. You know, sure, it might, since it's a tight track, it might offer little opportunities to pass. But, I mean, 13 seems like an excellent opportunity to be the last of the late breakers. 27 also seems to be that way. Heck, turn one also seems to be that way. If you can, you know, maybe get on the outside and, and put yourself on the inside for turn two right after it. So I think this track could be very interesting. I know a lot of people are giving a crap because, as you said, Hunter, doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of actual real turns. But I'm willing to, you know, give it the opportunity to see what it's like in racing conditions because I've seen some very interesting gameplay of this track on F1, um, F1 2021. And if that translates on track, I think it would be uh, I think it'd be incredible. Now, the other thing is, of course, we need to make sure this track is actually like finished because I don't know if you saw some of the photos, Hunter, but. This track is, like, not quite... It's not like they had this track done months ago and they're just waiting for the race to come around. Like, this thing is still actively being paved, like, as of, you know, like a week ago, I think. From what I can tell, I think it might be done. I mean, it it's going to be done, but is it, like... How how rushed is it going to be? That's I think that's oh, the okay. other question of it. I, I, think, that's fair, then. I think that's the other question to it, Hunter, is just how rushed is it going to be? Like I said, I'm, I'm willing to give well, it. As long as the curbs, as long as the curbs aren't like they were last week, where people are just popping tires for just racing on the track, then I think we'll be fine. Well, they're not going to have that opportunity because the outside of the curb is the wall, so they're not going to be popping well, tires. They're going to be breaking suspensions. That's what's going to happen um, if that's the case. But either way, you know, going into Saudi Arabia, how about we talk about what our expectations are for some of the teams going into this? Because different teams are definitely going to have different levels of expectation. And on top of that, you know, we kind of allude to it a little bit, but some teams may be a bit more uh, prepared for a track like this. So, I mean, we got to go into it with the team that's on top of the World Constructor standings. That's Mercedes. You know, they're coming into this with a five-point lead in the Constructors. Lewis Hamilton is seven points back? Eight points back? Eight points back, excuse me. He's eight points back. Yeah, eight points back to uh, Max Verstappen in the Drivers' Championship standings. What what do you think? I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit. You think that this track is going to be a Mercedes victory primarily for, I mean, Lewis Hamilton's ability to just win on new tracks? Or is it also, I mean, I think it's also part of what I talked about, just the, the fact that they have just better speed. I am going to, since we don't have any any sort of data for any of the teams for this track, I am basing all of my assumptions for this weekend, what I think they should do, and predictions off of Imola. Sorry, not Imola, Monza. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I think Mercedes should do very well, not only because Lewis Hamilton is on fire lately, but also because their car is just fast and straight, straighter lines. So I don't expect them to finish any worse than second. I would really assume they're going to win, 
but I'm not. I, I I would not expect anything less than second from them this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's you know that's kind of a given based on uh, how a lot of the season has gone. But I mean, let's let's rope in Red Bull into this and kind of you know talk about the fight for the top spot. You know, do you think Mercedes has a clear advantage over Red Bull at this track? Well, if we use Monza for example, Max was able to fight with Lewis. And then obviously they fought so much that they ended up uh, intertwining. But we'll use Checo since he actually did finish the race. Obviously, he wasn't on amazing form at this point in the season, but he came in fifth at Monza. So I don't know if they're going to have the pace at all to match with Red or match with Mercedes. And it might be just like last race where it's damage limitations and steal fastest lap. That's just still make sure Lewis doesn't have fastest lap. They would like for Max to have it, obviously, but just make sure Lewis doesn't have fastest lap. And that's all they can really hope for. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if we, you know, as you are doing, looking back to Monza and everything, you have Valtteri Bottas who podiumed that race, despite, you know, taking a massive grid penalty at that race. So, like, it's just very kind of clear there that um, Mercedes might have an edge in this track. Obviously, like you said, we have no data to back that up necessarily first time racing here brand new track literally like just finished a week ago but you know it's going to be a fast track and that is probably going to play into the hands of mercedes looking down the order a little bit you know the fight for third we think that ferraris basically have it locked up at this point but you know if you want to compare it to monza hunter you did get a mclaren one two at this track in italy yeah so we might maybe it's lando's turn finally maybe lando will will steal the win like we said, McLaren did finish 1-2, but then Ferrari finished 4-6. So I think both teams are honestly going to be putting up a great fight with each other. We obviously saw in Austin, all four of the drivers were just having a dogfight for the first opening couple laps and then the whole rest of the race. So I think it'd be awesome to see a race go down like that between those two teams. Um, I honestly expect good things from, from both Ferrari and McLaren this weekend. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to give them uh, definitive grid placements or anything. Uh, obviously, both teams need to beat the other. But I, I honestly think that this track is going to give McLaren a little bit of an advantage over Ferrari. But we'll just have to see. Yeah, I mean, we we talk about Ferrari being the most consistent team on the grid. You know, especially for not just being a dominant, you know, top of the dog pile type uh, situation for them. I hate to say it, I hate to put the commentator's curse on it because I'm, you know, I I don't mind Carlos Sainz. I think he's a great guy. The man has not been outside the points since France. Yeah. That is true. That is a long stretch of time. I believe it's the longest stretch. It, it's definitely the longest active stretch, you know, for any of the drivers on the grid right now, and I think it's pretty much the longest stretch of the season beating out what Lando did up until the uh the mid-season break. So with that being said, you know, maybe it's time that the the fates kind of turn back to against Ferrari, especially if, you know, we're going to see a potential uh, McLaren favored track, I should say here, because, you know, they also have that Mercedes engine source, which apparently is, you know, really great with top speed. It's been been better than Red Bull at top speed necessarily for uh, for the back half of the season here. So maybe just maybe. McLaren takes a pretty big bite out of Ferrari. I mean, like I said, I think that, listen, if you're gambling on the under over on safety cars and virtual safety cars and, you know, maybe even a red flag since there isn't a whole lot of runoff on this track, 
I think this is the the time you take the over. I, I do think that both McLaren and Ferrari could have a good day today. I think McLaren's going to have a better day than Ferrari. I, I think the, the general expectations for McLaren is, you know, double top five. I, I think that's kind of where they need to be. It definitely depends on where Daniel shows up <laughs> on, the, on the day. But that's kind of where they need to be. And I think that uh, this track could offer them some uh, some good benefits compared to where Ferrari's at this stage of the season. Well, Dan, regardless of what you think about Ferrari and McLaren, there was a team that actually ousted both of them, Alpine. They kind of walked away from AlphaTauri in their fight for fifth, and we're going to see what this track offers for them. I'm not too hopeful because at Monza they got 8th and 10th. Now, of course, this is a completely different track. I understand it's a completely different track. I'm just, that's a fast track. This seems to be a fast track. This is why I'm using this. But I'm not looking too hopeful for Alpine going into this race compared to the likes of Ferrari and McLaren. Yeah, I think my thoughts on Alpine is simply the fact that they're coming off a podium. And even though you say, like, oh, they only got 8th and 10th, I mean, for the team that's 5th in the Constructors, 8th and 10th is right where they... Uh, need to be if they're going to consistently be fifth in constructors. So yeah, I think uh, honestly maybe uh, a repeat performance of what happened in Monza could go very well for them. And and obviously it's 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 kind of secured you know fifth place for them, but it's not guaranteed. And I think if they can consistently just get two drivers in the points, um, that could be the case. I mean, compared to McLaren and, you know, Mercedes, for example, straight line speed wise, Alpine isn't necessarily completely up there, but they've definitely shown the ability to play with some of the teams up the order. You know, as you mentioned last week, they were better than Ferrari and McLaren. And, you know, let's go all the way back to Hungary, for example. You know, you had uh, the the great defense of uh, of Lewis Hamilton by Fernando Alonso. So. I mean, the team The team could make an impact here. I think a double points finish is where they want to be, where they should be. And heck, honestly, if they do a repeat of what happened in Qatar, then all bets are off. They could they could be above Ferrari and McLaren for the last race of the season, too. Yeah, well, I mean, momentum is key. Momentum is, is pretty much everything when it comes to sports, including motorsports. Um, so it'll be nice if they could keep it up, but we'll... We'll have to see. I just I'm going to be a little bit of a naysayer, a little bit of negative Nancy, and I'm not, I don't think they're going to be able to to keep it up the last two races. But I would love to be proved wrong. A team that I would love to not be proved wrong about their qualifying efforts would be AlphaTauri. Dan uh, Pierre Gasly, I think he should qualify top six again. It's unbelievable how many times he's done that this season. I talk about it all the time because it's an amazing stat. Yeah, and I mean it's an incredible stat. Um, I just feel like there's definitely like a meme out there where where it's like press X to say that Pierre Gasly's gonna gonna make top six in qualifying. Yeah, and and you know, I'll I will say what I always say whenever you talk about his qualifying effort is and it's just that I don't know what's up with the race pace of the Alpha Tauri, but like he just gets the worst luck. Con- converting those good qualifyings into good race results is obviously what Alpha Tauri's tried to do. Pierre's done a, a like, you know, a, a decent job with it. I mean, for a car currently six in the constructor standings, you know, he's he's put up a podium. He's gotten he's gotten a lot of points finishes, uh, you know, including some high ones, you know, fourths, fifths, you know, throughout the course of the season on top of that third place in Azerbaijan. I think for them, you know, the, the realistic goal, the realistic expectation is a double points finish. That has been difficult for them. 
primarily because of Yuki. I don't. I'm not trying to say Yuki's a bad guy, a bad driver, but he's definitely not taken to this car as he's definitely holding the team down. I think if we had two drivers like Pierre Gasly, or if we were if it was a team like Ferrari where we had two drivers very equal in skill, then I think Alfatari would honestly have way more points. But if we're gonna look back at Monza, Pierre Gasly bumped into a McLaren, then ran over his own wing, and then didn't get to actually run in the real race, and Yuki never started. So yeah, which we I have th- no idea how fast their actual race pace is going to be at a track like this. Yeah, I mean, first off, you can't really count. Like, I, I as soon as I see the DNS for Yuki in that race, it's just like, okay, yeah. Like, like you said, it's whatever. We don't really know. That's not his fault at all. And, you know, for Pierre, it happens to be when they get some really rotten luck. I mean, the best comparison I can make is just looking at how Red Bull did because they have the same engine, same engine supplier, true. sister true. teams. So I imagine Alpha Tauri, you know, is probably going to be at a slight disadvantage, just like how we think Red Bull might be at a slight disadvantage in this track. But again, you know, as much as you say that the <laughs> many of those turns are a slight inconvenience more than a turn, um, you know, if you take your slight inconvenience wrong, you still are going to break your suspension on a wall, and uh, that obviously will end your race no matter how fast you are. You know, you could be really fast, but you're still going to break something if you hit a wall. That's my life advice for today. Yeah, I mean, Alpha Tauri, a little bit of a mystery, but, I mean, based on power unit, you know, I it, it probably will be a good qualifying at Pierre, and then Pierre probably falls back a little bit, and if they're lucky, Yuki can maybe get into the points. And I think that's probably the realistic uh, projection for Alpha Tauri. Whereas the realistic projection for Aston Martin probably is not repeating last week, because last week was kind of nuts that they got a double points finish. Yeah, I really doubt we'll see a double points finish from Aston Martin. Just using Monza, they got 7th and 12th. So realistically, they got 9th and 15th, because you figure the two leaders took each other out. So I don't know if they're going to have the pace to to score any points at all this week. Now, um, now I, I know someone's out there just going, wait, you said Alpha Tower is going to be a disadvantage because of their power unit, the same as the Red Bull one. Isn't Aston Martin using the Mercedes engines? Yes. Yes, they are. But even but their at, arrow is not yeah. good. I mean, even at the tracks that we saw like success out of, you know, uh, Mercedes and McLaren, you know, uh, I mean, the McLaren one, two that they picked up. At Monza, Aston Martin couldn't even get a double points finish. They had a driver in 12th at that race. Um, and then, you know, the tracks the tracks that um, that McLaren, okay, since they're the closest uh, team that uses Mercedes power, the tracks that McLaren has gotten podiums at have not consistently been tracks that Aston Martin has had good results at. I mean, Monaco, McLaren got a podium, and Aston Martin got double points finish there, sure. But on the flip side... Um, you got podiums in, you know, at Austria for McLaren, or a podium, I should say, at Austria for McLaren, and that was a race weekend when Aston Martin had, you know, zero drivers finishing the points. So I don't, I think that they're just that far down where that engine comparison is not quite there. Yeah, I just, it takes one thing to have the engine everyone else has, or to have the best engine, and then a completely another thing to design a car that's even remotely quick. And when you go from copying the fastest car from two years ago and then getting called out for it and being told never to do that again and you have to start all over, you're kind of screwed. So uh, hopefully for Aston Martin's sake, next year they'll have a better car. But yeah, I'm not expecting great things from Aston Martin, and I'll be honestly shocked if I see any points scored. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it was just announced earlier this week that uh, that Aston Martin actually uh, stole one of the head aero guys from Mercedes to start working the 2023 season. So it's possible. Who knows? They've, they've definitely been taking some top talent from both Mercedes and Red Bull. They definitely like to take inspiration and now staff from Mercedes. I mean, well, listen, that's the way it works. Like, you know, McCl- I know, like, I know. Like McLaren took a bunch of like Red Bull, like, you know, guys and stuff. That's just the way the whole thing works. You know, like Haas stole, uh, stole Gunter Steiner from, uh, uh, I believe Red Bull. It might have been Mercedes. Well, let's not say stole. Let's say well, paid. Yes, yeah, paid, paying sure. them, just paying them more handsomely. That's all. Either way, that's that's more of a topic for you know postseason stuff as we prepare for future seasons. But uh, as for this coming weekend for the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix, Aston Martin, you know, I think they're in a similar boat to Alpine. My expectations aren't high. They're just kind of like you know for Alpine. You know, a low double points finish is probably like the usual for Aston Martin. No points finish is probably the usual, but both of them surprised in Qatar. And if they can continue that, then all bets are off. And who knows? You know, we, we can see what Aston Martin can do in the last two uh, two weeks of the or two races of the year, I should say, as they uh, currently sit on an island in seventh, uh, just like how Williams is sitting on an island in eighth. I know we talked a lot at the beginning of the show about the passing of uh, Sir Frank Williams. And, you know, honestly, as you talked about, they don't have a car to do something amazing. This isn't going to be like one of those inspired to win stories. You know, this isn't we're not watching Rudy here. OK, that's not the case. Uh, Williams is not going to win this race. But I think Williams could potentially qualify Q3 and for sure at least potentially score some points. Exactly. That's that's where I was at, Hunter. You talked a little bit about it before. You know, is is it just like you know Q three for George and and maybe a few points? Is that is that? Well, the... I don't know. It could be Q three for Nicholas now because uh, George keeps losing to him now. Ever since he actually lost to him, he's lost to him twice now. George has senioritis. He already has the promotion to college, aka Mercedes. This is true. So he's just got some senioritis to to Nicholas. I mean, he he gives a lot of credit to Nicholas for uh you know for working really hard and everything. So I don't know, maybe Latifi turns into uh, a very competent driver and maybe, you know, Albon gets exposed for being a fraud next year. Maybe we'll, we'll have to find out and see. Yeah. And then we go on to Alfa Romeo. Uh, you know, they had a, a slightly below average finish at Qatar 14th, 15th. Giovinazzi's not coming back and Raikkonen's not coming back. These are the final two races for these drivers. Um, in Formula One, uh, basically ever. I don't think Giovinazzi is going to be coming back to Formula One. At the I, I end doubt of this. it. He 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 has a Formula E seat, and I also just doubt that he he got his chance. But I don't know. Yeah. So with that being said, in the last two races of the season, do you think either driver, whether it's because you know the pending retirement or the pending you know at like exit from Formula One? Do you think either driver is going to put up something miraculous because it's their their you know last time on the grid? I think they'll try, but I can't guarantee anything because unfortunately for them, they're not in a phenomenal car. No, they they really are not. They're just not in a phenomenal car. Which Alfa Romeo keeps on being the center of a whole bunch of you know sale rumors, whether it be you know the the since debunked uh, Andretti sale or or you know the potential of a of a um, BMW group sale and all this other stuff. So man, Porsche, yeah. 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 I mean, Alfa Romeo is, 
they're tr definitely trending in a in a downward direction. Hunter, do you think it's fair to say that I would be shocked if Haas finishes with both cars in one piece? I think that's unbelievably fair to say. I mean, this, this team is, a, is as you're saying yeah. as you're saying there's there's some tight street corner kind of turns and I think at both Monaco and uh, what is it, Azerbaijan, I think both cars hit the wall a couple times, and I'm pretty sure both races, neither driver finished at least one of them. Uh, I mean, Azerbaijan, they both finished. In fact, they both finished in front of Lewis Hamilton, Azerbaijan. Oh, you're right. So you got to give but some But in Azerbaijan, there. they did crash in practice, though. I do remember that. Yeah. But then um, again, half the field crashed in practice. Yeah. And I mean, it also wasn't a good showing at uh, at Monaco either, where there's you know another track with some tight uh, tight boundaries on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This track just seems to be like those tracks, except you know the the parts that are tight at Azerbaijan are the slow parts, and here the whole thing is fast. There is no slow part. So I don't know. Stereotypically, like if you asked me at the beginning of the season, if you showed me this track layout and and showed me the pictures and said, what is, you know, Mazepin going to do? I would have said that he would have made like half a lap before he hit the wall. But he has admit admittedly gotten better at being a Formula One driver. You know, maybe he could transfer that to other aspects of his life and learn to be a better human being. But in the meantime, he has become a little bit of a better Formula One driver. So who knows? Maybe they can get out of this without uh, losing a car. But I mean, it is it is what it is. I I'll be optimistic and say that they'll they'll do it, but uh, realistically, I don't see much of a chance there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been a hot minute since we had a race that was, you know, littered with a lot of uh, a lot of crash retirements. I mean, Qatar saw a couple of retirements due to tire issues. Brazil saw a couple of retirements due to due to some mechanical issues, and I mean that little like wing issue with uh, with Lando Norris. Like, Mexico saw one retirement that, you know, like, wasn't crash-related. It's been a hot second since we had some drivers crash out. I think the last actual significant crash out that we've had was back at, at going back to Monza. You know, you have Mercedes and Red Bull when uh, they, again, impacted each other. So I think uh, this track, both due to the layout, the speed, the stakes at this uh, point in the season... I mean, I, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see a really intense race, and I have a lot of faith that uh, this could be a very interesting race. Now, me saying this, I can't wait for the DRS train that's going to be this weekend. But you yeah, know, most likely, I'm, unfortunately, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping for better. I'm hoping for much better. But either way, we will see what happens this weekend. Hunter, any final thoughts on the Jeddah Street Circuit for the 2021? Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Uh, I would ask you to say the full name, but I'm pretty sure one that is the full name, and two, uh, I don't think you could read the Arabic full name that uh, is on the uh, on the website. So, yeah, no, all I know is it's the Formula One STC Saudi Arabian Grand Prix 2021 at the Jeddah Cornish Circuit. I don't. That's I'm I'm looking forward to this race. If I was a betting man, I would put five dollars down that Lewis Hamilton's going to win the race solely for the fact that it's a brand new track. Max has a chance to clinch the title technically, mathematically, this race. So it's going to be a very interesting watch, and I, I can't wait to watch all the practices and the qualifying and everything I possibly can. It's going to be an exciting weekend, and I can't wait to talk about it next week. Yeah, and of course, next week we're going to be talking about it and previewing the final race of the 2021 season, which is very likely going to be 
the race that decides the Drivers' and Constructors' Championship, which is incredible because it has not happened in a long time that the final race of the season has decided both the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship standings. But until next week comes, if you have any questions, comments, or discussion, anything you want us to talk about on the show, please send us a message to our mailbag, offthepitwall at gmail.com. And in the meantime, my name is Dan Selesky. I'm Hunter Connolly. And you've been listening to Off the Pitwall, an American F1 podcast. Off the Pitwall is produced by Dan Zaleski with Hunter Connolly and Kalen Wolfskill. Edited by Kyle Kratzer. A Ruby Media Production. <laughs>